Father, as always, we are grateful that you've gathered us together, that your family is in this place to remember and to celebrate who you are and what you've done, especially in this season. We focus in on this moment in history and what it means for all history, yesterday, today, and forever. So we pray that this morning that you would open our eyes to maybe see these stories in ways that we haven't considered them before, that you would help us understand what the season is all about, that you would empower us by your spirit as we sit on the edge of our seats waiting for you, that we would also see that there is work yet to be done as we long for that day when you invade and the kingdoms of the world become the kingdom of our Lord. And we pray all this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen. amen. When, when Charles Wesley sat down and, and wrote a prayer that later became the hymn that we just sang, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, he wasn't only thinking about the story of Christmas. In fact, it wasn't a gospel story that inspired that song at all. It was a reading from the prophet Haggai. Let me read this to you. This is Haggai 2, verse 6. The prophet wrote, This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations. And what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace. One author describes Advent this way. Listen. It says, Advent is about waiting for God to come to us. It's a deep expression of a reality that goes back farther in our faith even than Christ himself. Back to the time of the Israelites' religious, political, and geographical oppression. How long, O Lord, they cry in the Psalms. When will you send us a savior? I think in one way or another that we all know that kind of waiting. We understand that kind of waiting at one time in our life or another. And maybe it's different for us than it was when Haggai wrote or when the gospel stories were told or when Charles Wesley sat down to pen this hymn. Maybe for us, it's waiting, waiting on a diagnosis. Maybe it's waiting for a prayer to be answered for someone that we love that's hurting. Maybe it's waiting to hear that your kids and your grandkids made it safe home after visiting for the holidays. Maybe it's waiting for your kids and grandkids to come and visit again. Maybe they've stayed too long and it's waiting for them to leave. <laughs> Maybe it's waiting for someone to call or write so that, so that we don't have to feel alone anymore. I think we all know this waiting in one way or another. The author continues, she says, the wait for the Messiah is deep in our collective faith memory. It's a deep expression of faithful longing. Come thou long expected Jesus is a song that longs for the Messiah to come again. 
It's a faithful longing for the day when he will come and bring true justice and peace to all creation once and for all. Y'all, as we gather to celebrate Advent, I don't know that we realize that we have gathered to celebrate so much more than we can possibly understand. See, we are not here to simply memorialize an event that happened in the past. We are here to remember and to celebrate it, of course. But we are also here to look forward to a promise that's yet to be fulfilled. That's what connects us to the people that we read about in Scripture. Just like the people that we're going to read about in Luke 1 and in Luke 2, we are still waiting. Over the next four weeks, the events that we're going to read about in Luke chapters 1 and chapter 2, those events are set firmly in the midst of this troubled and chaotic world. Even as they point forward to an eternal life in a kingdom free from suffering and pain and death. So for the next four weeks, we're gonna talk about the joy and the celebration of the season, of course. But we are also gonna talk about the tension and the trouble. We're gonna travel from the manger to the majesty of his glorious return because that is the great hope that comes with the season of Advent. But let's start. Um, Let me start by introducing you to a couple of my friends, Elizabeth and Zechariah. Aren't they adorable? (laughs) These are very important people in the Christmas story. And we're first introduced to them in Luke chapter one. They're actually the first two people we meet in Luke's gospel. Now, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were faithful to the God of Israel. They were obedient to his commands. He was a priest serving in the temple in Jerusalem. She also was a descendant of Moses' brother, Aaron. So the story in Luke 1 tells us that one day, an angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah while he was serving in the temple. And this angel tells Zechariah that his wife is going to give birth to a son, that his first name will be John, his last name will be the Baptist. And that... (laughs) He didn't say that. (laughs) But that this child is gonna prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. But there was a problem. Zechariah and Elizabeth had been unable to conceive a child. And there was another problem. Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth, they were really old. just like a couple of their ancestors generations before when the Lord surprised Abraham and Sarah with a child. Now, old Zechariah and Elizabeth are about to go through the same thing. How do you think they felt about all of this, honestly? Some of you in this room may be about that age. I don't, I don't know how old they were, but maybe. How would you feel? Listen, when you read the story of this angel's appearance to Zechariah, you're gonna find a word repeated three times. In Luke chapter one, verses 12 to 13, that word is fear. And there are actually a couple of Greek words that Luke uses to describe Zechariah's fear. The NLT does a really good job of capturing the sense of these words. It says that when the angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah, Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear. 
Are we trying to make a point? And the angel said, don't be afraid. God has heard your prayer. Now, you may know this, but when angels appear to humans in scripture, that's the first thing they say, right? Do not be afraid. It happens like 117 times. You wanna know why? (laughs) Because... Because these beings that bring good news of great joy are apparently terrifying. (laughs) Like an encounter like this is terrifying. In this story, Zechariah does not experience comfort and joy. This angel is bringing good news, but it is not sweetly singing or the plain. I've been thinking about this all week and I've been trying to relate to it. And I mean, I can't exactly, but it did make me think. I remember um, when Jennifer went into labor with Benjamin and that was nearly 20 years ago now. So we were excited. Like I was excited. I can't really speak for her. I mean, I'm sure she was nervous and afraid, but I'm sure she was excited to meet her baby boy. I was just excited because oblivious as guys are to pretty much everything that was about to happen. So we had his nursery all set up. The decorations were in place. We had stacks on stacks of diapers. Everything was ready to go. But nothing about that delivery is what we expected. Like about a day after she went into labor, she started running a really high fever. Things started getting really intense. I could see it on the faces of the doctors and the nurses. They ended up rushing her into surgery but she had already been in labor so long that they couldn't keep the pain under control. So she felt things that she shouldn't have felt as Ben was being delivered. And then because of that, she was out for like a really long time and she was not really aware of what had happened and she definitely wasn't able to enjoy holding her baby boy. And then as many of you know, we found out days later that Ben was born with a heart defect and had to have open heart surgery when he was still an infant. Like what should have been Joy and excitement and anticipation, it so quickly devolved into chaos and fear. And the reality is that even before Zechariah received this news, this man had plenty of reasons to be afraid. He had plenty of reasons to worry. Like today, I'm not even gonna really get into the, to the lived reality of the Jewish people at this time, living under the rule of Rome, right? The peace of Rome that was established by killing anybody who opposed them. We're gonna talk more about that in the weeks to come. But this messenger and his message seem to have only added to this man's trouble. Like not only did this visitation from some other reality shake him to his core, y'all, this message hit him where it hurts. Remember, he and his wife were very old. And their married life was lived in shame because of their inability to conceive a child. They're far from the only two people who have experienced that kind of trouble, of course. But in that culture at that time, there was a real sense of personal shame imposed on those who were childless. This message from the Lord is addressing a deep and profound pain. And it is experienced with fear. Now, look, you might think that I'm overstating this. I mean, the angel appeared, said the Lord heard your prayer and is acting. I would expect that news to be received with great joy. And here I'm talking about fear and chaos, but listen, 
This is verse 18, Luke chapter one. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. By the way, kudos to Zechariah for not calling his wife old. Did you notice that? He must have had a sense this was going to be written down for all history. (laughs) Verse 19, then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It is he who sent me to you to bring this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Kick a man while he's down. (laughs) Like, was that good news received with great joy? I don't think it was. And honestly, I can understand why. Yes, the Lord heard his prayer and has acted, but honestly, from their perspective, like, it's a little late. (laughs) Like, I was terrified for my wife, and that was 20 years ago, surrounded by the most modern medicine the world has ever known. We're talking about an old woman pregnant and giving birth in the dirt 2,000 years ago. Every reason to worry and have fear. Listen, here's the point. This is how the Christmas story is introduced to us in Luke's gospel. This is how Luke starts the story. These are not tidings of comfort and joy. These chapters are describing messy events that are set in the real world a world filled with chaos and shame and fear. And into the chaos and the trouble, God moves in surprising and sometimes unsettling ways. But this isn't the end of the story. Verse 24, soon after his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. And there's the turn, right? Fear, shame, frustration, disgrace, those are the words that we've heard. The tensions and the troubles of this life are now answered by hope. Because this child in her womb is evidence that the Lord is still moving in the world. And that when the Lord moves... It can bring confidence and assurance that we are moving one step closer to a kingdom that is free from suffering and sadness and pain. The Lord finally moves and it brings hope. And I wanna show you what hope looks like, but I need two volunteers. So two people who can quickly come up here. I'm serious. We're never gonna get out of here if you guys don't move. All right, come on. Perfect. Stay on the stairs. Let's make this as dangerous as possible. Okay. (laughs) Will you hold this end of the rope, Steve? Will you hold that end of the rope, David? Thank you guys very much. Just stand there. Don't do anything yet. Um, Some of you might be uh, reading an Advent devotional from the Bible Project. Uh, If you don't have a devotional to guide you through Advent, I would really recommend this one. You can start reading it today. And if you do, what you're going to find is that the first word that they deal with in this series is the word hope. 
And there's a few different words in Hebrew, but two in particular. The first is yakal, and the second is kovah. And they explain it like this, and it's brilliant. So we have this cord, right? Thin strands woven together to make one another strong, working to hold two things together. But when this rope is pulled tightly, when this rope is pulled tightly, now there's tension in that cord, right? And if you keep pulling tighter and tighter, (laughs) if you keep pulling tighter and tighter, (laughs) okay, listen, what you're watching, there's an expectation that something's gonna happen, right? Like eventually something will happen. Apparently so far, either David's going down or the cord's gonna break. (laughs) Unless David muscles up and starts fighting back. (laughs) What's going to happen? Is somebody going to fall? Will it hold? If we tied this to two very heavy things, would it hold their weight? What's going to happen? Thanks so much. You guys can let go. Y'all are awesome. Give them a round of applause. Thank y'all for doing that. The word kav in Hebrew is the word for a cord or a rope. Kavah is the word for hope. It's the feeling of tension and expectation while you wait for something to happen. And that word is a verb. Hope in Hebrew is an action, the action of waiting with anticipation because we are certain that something is about to happen. Now I want you to keep that image in your mind as you hear the rest of the story. It's verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been very merciful to her, everyone rejoiced with her. When the baby was eight days old, they all came for the circumcision ceremony and they wanted to name him Zechariah after his father. But Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. What, they exclaimed? There's no one in all of your family that goes by that name. So they used gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him. He motioned for a writing tablet and to everyone's surprise, he wrote, his name is John. And instantly, Zechariah could speak again and he began praising God. Awe fell upon the whole neighborhood and the news of what had happened spread throughout the Judean hills. Now listen, the last we heard from Zechariah, he was a scared, shaken old man living under the unpredictable authoritarian rule of an occupying army, culture shamed because of circumstances out of his control, silent for nine months because of his disbelief, and the first things out of his mouth are what? Praise. The sound of hope. You wanna know how somebody goes from being terrified and afraid to sing in praise? The text tells us, verse 67, that his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he gave this prophecy. Listen. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. 
He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred oath, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. And I'm telling you, this prophecy, this song, this is the sound of hope. The feeling of tension and expectation while you're waiting for something to happen. And here's how we know. Go back today and read, read it yourself. He is not singing for joy because he's now a father. He didn't say anything about that. His song is not celebrating the freedom from shame that he and Elizabeth would now experience because they finally conceived a child. He didn't say anything about that either. His praising God, his prophecy, his song, it starts by looking past their child to proclaim the truth that's yet to be fulfilled about the savior their child was born to announce. The Messiah he was singing about hasn't even been born yet. It's a song of hope because he now had evidence that the Lord was still on the move in the midst of the chaos and the tension of the world that he lived in. And one day the world would never be the same. It's a song of hope because this new father is still waiting in the tension for the Lord to do what he has promised to do, not just for Zechariah and his wife, but for all creation. It is a prophecy of hope declaring that one day all the suffering and the pain of this world will end. No more tension. No more pain. Look, this is what I want you to see as we start off a series of Advent sermons that are gonna lead us to a great celebration on Christmas Eve. There is still trouble in the world. There was trouble then and there's trouble now. We are often shaken, sometimes living in circumstances that are beyond our control, circumstances that cause fear and trembling and shame and frustration and pain. Sometimes those circumstances are on us. But the truth is the tension doesn't magically go away when we pull out the decorations and start singing the right songs. And listen, don't get me wrong. I told the 9.30 service, my house, we're probably the first ones to decorate for Christmas every year. <laughs> it goes up before Thanksgiving. I love the decorations. I wish we could leave them up all year long. But the tension in the world doesn't magically go away when we put the decorations out and when we start singing the songs. There is still tension, but there is great hope. There is a reason to celebrate. There is a reason to decorate. <laughs> There is a reason to sing Advent hymns and Christmas carols, not only to remember back to that night 2,000 years ago when the Christ was born, not only in celebration of what that night has already birthed into history, but to celebrate because his birth, his life, his death and resurrection is now nurturing real hope into our future. Jesus has already been born, already died, already risen from the grave, the first among us. That is what God has already done. Jesus has not yet returned to establish his peace and his justice forever and ever. The kingdoms of this world are not yet the kingdom of our Lord. Hence the tension and the trouble and the chaos and confusion. 
But scripture is clear. He is coming. So listen, Advent reminds us, even as we sing and celebrate in homes and in sanctuaries that are all decked out for the season, Advent reminds us that fear and trembling, shame, frustration, pain, they are real and they can be fierce adversaries. But they will not last forever. Even death itself will not have the final say. I wanna ask you to do something. Um, I'm not gonna ask you to stand like Sabrina did last week, even though that was brilliant. I asked the high school students how they felt about that and they said, no, it was great, it, cut, it woke me up. <laughs> I don't know, maybe you should stand. <laughs> okay. uh, no, uh, but I do wanna ask you to do something uh, in all seriousness. Um, I wanna ask you to close your eyes. And I just wanna ask you, what is the source of your trouble? Like what's the source of your pain? And maybe it's something internal to you. Maybe it's some sin or brokenness that you just can't shake on your own. Maybe it's external like Zechariah and Elizabeth. It's something out of your control. I don't know what it is. You do. What is the source of all that troubles you? And I just wanna invite you with your eyes closed just to take a minute with the Lord. Just hand it over. Like take a deep breath and say it just to him. Okay, and you can open your eyes. And now I wanna invite you to take another deep breath. And I want you to begin to anticipate the moment when that trouble that you just shared with the Lord, I want you to begin to anticipate the moment when that trouble is lifted once and for all. If you're able, and I mean this, if you're able, sit on the edge of your seat. Like sit on the edge of your seat and do it in anticipation of the day when we will sing our Advent hymns, not as hope, not year after year during the Advent season, but when we can sing songs day after day because life forever with King Jesus will now finally be our new reality. Anticipate a day when we can decorate and leave the decorations up for good. Like I wonder if the Holy Spirit might be helping you to see just by moving your body a bit that all the evil and the troubles in this world, everything that troubles all who live in it, y'all, it's time is almost up. I wonder if this might help to cause a stirring in your stomach, maybe even bring a smile to the corner of your lips because God is moving in power over your life and over all creation. Even if it doesn't seem like it right now. And it may not come to completion today, but you're sitting on the edge of your seat and you're waiting because you can be assured it is coming. Like living life on the edge of your seat. You can live life just sitting back, waiting, just whatever happens, happens. 
or you can live life on the edge of your seat in anticipation. That's what hope looks like. This is what the Advent season is all about. Does that make sense? Okay, you can relax for a minute. I don't want anybody falling out of their seat. I just have, I just have one last thing. As we now metaphorically sit on the edge of our seats in anticipation of the fulfillment of God's promises, there's work to do. So I want you to hear the end of Zechariah's prophecy. I want you to hear the end of his song. After looking past his own child and proclaiming the good news of the coming of the Messiah, listen to the song that he sings over his sweet baby boy. He says, and you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins because of God's tender mercy. The morning light, the day spring from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. That prophecy, that song was first sung over the baby Baptist 2,000 years ago. And a number of years later, John completed his work by preparing the way for Jesus. His work went from the manger to the cross. But God's word is living, and I am confident when I tell you that this living word, this prophecy, it now describes the work that has been passed on to me and to you. From the empty tomb now to the majesty of his return, that's our job. Prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. Like even as the decorations are up and the songs are being sung, this world is full of chaos and trouble. The world is shaken and overwhelmed. The world needs a people who are sitting on the edge of their seats in the midst of that tension because they believe something beautiful is coming. The world needs a people sustained by that hope. The world needs that hope. The world needs the confidence that one day all the fog is gonna clear and everything's gonna be all right. Y'all, we are called to be that people. We are privileged to be that people, to prepare the way for the return of the king, to tell people how to find salvation through the forgiveness of sins, to give light to those who sit in the darkness, in the shadow of death, to tell them that a savior is born, that he lived, he died, he walked out of that tomb. And now we get to sit on the edge of our seats with expectant hope because the Savior is coming again and we get to invite people to sit on the edge of the seat with us. Amen? There is work to do, especially this Advent season. Let's pray. Father God, we give you all the glory now and forevermore. Amen.